Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today I'm joined by Oliver Hartwich. Oliver, hello. Hi Ben. This week in our Insights newsletter we have a piece about uh, the Reserve Bank's quantitative easing program. I'm joined by Oliver today to explain what actions the Reserve Bank took and what it means for taxpayers. Hi Oliver, can you tell us a bit more about uh, the Reserve Bank's quantitative easing program and what it meant? Okay, maybe we'll start very generally. Um, When central banks want to stimulate an economy, they typically cut the official cash rate, so interest rates. Because when interest rates are lower, it is easier for companies to refinance, it is easier for companies to invest, it is easier for consumers to spend, and therefore lower interest rates have a stimulatory effect on an economy. That is how monetary policy generally works. And when an economy does the opposite, when an economy overheats, when um, prices rise too much, then the central bank does the opposite, of course. It withdraws monetary stimulus by increasing interest rates. This is what happens in normal circumstances. But circumstances in the last few years haven't been normal because interest rates have trended towards zero, not just in New Zealand, but globally as well. And especially then as the COVID crisis hit, um, the central bank had a bit of a problem because it would have liked to stimulate a bit more, but interest rates were already quite low even before COVID. And then the Reserve Bank contemplated what to do. They reduced interest rates a bit further, so the official cash rate in New Zealand reached um, just 0.25%. They didn't dare to go to just zero. They um, dared even less to go negative because the Reserve Bank believed at the time that commercial banks in New Zealand might actually struggle just implementing negative interest rates in their systems. And so the Reserve Bank had a challenge. It still wanted to do more stimulus, but it couldn't actually go down the OCR path even further. So what it did instead was it wanted to push more money out into the economy in an alternative way. And this has become known as quantitative easing. It's basically the Reserve Bank creating more money, printing more money, or actually doing it electronically these days, of course, and then getting this money out somewhere, getting it out of the door of the Reserve Bank. Now, the way to do it is, of course, the Reserve Bank can just purchase stuff. Because if the Reserve Bank goes out and buys stuff, the money it has created goes out onto the economy. In that sense, it doesn't really matter too much what the Reserve Bank buys. It could buy houses, cars, or beers. Um, But of course, the easiest way for a financial player is, of course, to buy paper. And that's exactly what the bank did. And that's quantitative easing, basically. The Reserve Bank creates this new money, central bank money. It goes out, it buys government paper, so government IOUs, bonds. So whenever the New Zealand government wants to spend more than it gets in taxation, it has to write this IOU, it's called a government bond, issues this bond, and the Reserve Bank now comes into the market and buys these papers, government papers, and in doing so, takes them on its own books, of course. But more crucially, for the purpose of monetary policy, it gets that cash out into the economy because more cash is then circulating. The Reserve Bank did that at the beginning of COVID. It said um, it was going to do that for up to $100 billion. But in doing that, of course, it was aware of some of the risks with that program. And the risks result from the fact that these papers can change in value. Right. So exactly how did they change in value and what does that mean? Well, perhaps as a very rough explainer, what happens? Just imagine in a in an economy, a um, government issues government bonds running over 10 years, and it promises for each of these years to pay a 3% interest on that bond. Now, <clears throat> you could 
hold on to these papers and each year for the next decade you would get 3% interest. Sure. But what happens when interest rates change? Say the level of interest goes up to 5%. Well, anyone holding that old bond, of course, is only still getting the 3% promise at the beginning. That That's doesn't a bad, change. bad investment then. Bad investment in that sense. Uh, other people going for the newer bonds would realize a higher interest payment. And therefore, the value of these old bonds goes down to reflect that because um, you are effectively making a loss by, going, by sticking out with these old bonds you would get a lot more return on your investment if you went for the older ones. And therefore, the value of these old bonds goes down. And conversely, of course, if that happens the other way around, um, say you issue a, uh, a bond and the bond um, promises a 3% interest payment every year. In the meantime, the interest rates um, fall and go down to zero. And of course, the value of these old bonds goes up because they are now more profitable than the newer stuff. Right. So the people that were looking to purchase these bonds, presumably they're you know, large investors, um, they'll be KiwiSaver funds, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they must have seen what the Reserve Bank was doing. They must have seen that uh, interest rates were already at very a very low point um, and that uh, purchasing all these bonds is sort of the, the next resort. They must have envisioned that interest rates would then have to rise accordingly. I think you basically put yourself in a position of last year what was happening. You have a new big buyer of bonds, the ultimate buyer of bonds, because it's a buyer with its own ATM, basically, and that's the Reserve Bank. So it comes into the market and it soaks up everything that there is. All the government paper it can find, it takes onto its books. By being such a big buyer, of course, it drives down interest rates. I mean, that was the whole point of the exercise. And it takes these papers onto its books. The Reserve Bank did that for a while. And then it saw that actually the economic Armageddon that we all expected at the beginning of 2020 didn't really materialize. So there was probably too much of this kind of stimulus. It also saw, of course, what the stimulus did to asset prices, most notably house prices. We now see it in consumer prices as well. So they are going up and therefore the Reserve Bank at some stage realized that actually they have to wind down this program before even reaching the 100 billion. So they stopped buying. At that point, we could anticipate that interest rates would go up in the future because now the Reserve Bank had the opposite problem. It no longer had to provide massive liquidity and it no longer thought it had to stimulate the economy. Now it actually had to make sure that the economy doesn't overheat. We have pretty much zero unemployment now, effectively. I mean, we've got a bit of frictional unemployment, but that's always happening, but it's basically full employment. We have um, consumer prices now going up by about 5%. The Reserve Bank wants to withdraw the stimulus now, and therefore it has realized or is is realizing losses on the papers it bought last year at very low interest rates. Because as interest rates now go up in the economy, the old papers it bought last year are worth less. That's the mechanism I described earlier. And so the Reserve Bank, through its bond purchasing activities last year, has now made losses worth just under $6 billion on paper. So and you're saying they, they already knew that they were going to experience these sorts of losses, do you think? I think they were, ex- well, they were anticipating that this was likely to happen. And the reason I say that is because before they started buying, they got an indemnity from the Minister of Finance, meaning the Reserve Bank said, yep, we're going to go into quantitative easing, but you, Minister of Finance, first have to give us a guarantee that for any loss we incur in this program, you're going to compensate us, you're going to bail us out. 
So the Reserve Bank saw that as a real possibility and got basically insurance against it free of charge from the Minister of Finance. That makes sense in a way to have this indemnity because at least it keeps the Reserve Bank flexible for its interest rates decision. It would be far worse, of course, if the Reserve Bank knew it had papers on its books um, that will go down in value if it increases interest rates. And therefore, in order to protect its own balance sheet, it would not go into the kind of um, monetary tightening phase that otherwise would be necessary for the benefit of the economy. So it's good in a way that the Reserve Bank had this protection, but it shows just what a massive risk to taxpayers this whole program has been. Right, so let me get this right. The Minister of Finance has guaranteed an indemnity to the Reserve Bank for undertaking this program. Uh, he's done that um, He's done that in the name of taxpayers. Right? Yes. So, so he's put taxpayers on the hook uh, for this massive program. But uh, at the same time, it's, it's the current government that benefits from having access to this, to this cash. Is yes, right? uh, it, it definitely benefited the government for a while because interest rates were lower. The yields on New Zealand government bonds were driven down and it was easier for the Minister of Finance to refinance. That's true. Um, we could also ask the question whether it did much to New Zealand as a whole. So assuming that a lot of these transactions happened between New Zealand domiciled investors and players in the market, um, the whole country doesn't get richer or poorer as a result of these transactions. It's just that you know, the money is still there, it's just owned by somebody else. So. Um, Yes, taxpayers are now facing losses on the Reserve Bank's policies, but there are con corresponding gains, of course, um, on the part of the people who previously sold their papers to the Reserve Bank. So as a whole, as a country, we probably didn't get richer or poorer as a result of it, but we've got a shift in the claims. And the shift is actually that now taxpayers guarantee for all of these transactions. So who are the people that um, have really benefited, apart from the government? The institutions that sold the bonds to the Reserve Bank at the time were probably KiwiSaver um, funds or banks or other institutional investors. Mm -hmm. So that's probably what happened. And you know what? You can't blame them because uh, the Reserve Bank entered the market and really wanted to buy them and they sold them at market price. There's no great conspiracy behind it. This is not a scheme to enrich any investors. It's just what happened as a result of the Reserve Bank's policies. Right, that's fascinating stuff. Dr. Oliver Hartwich, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. To stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events, sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.